WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 8.19 on this Friday morning. Today is the 25th of February, and this morning we'll be talking politics and things happening throughout the state of Tennessee, but uh, mainly here in Rutherford County and the impact of those things from the General Assembly. And with us today, we have State Representative Tim Rudd and State Representative Dr. Brian Terry. How are both of y'all doing this morning? I'm doing this, Tim Rudd. I'm doing fine. Yeah, this is uh, Brian Terry. Thank you for having us on. I'm, I'm doing well. And I just before we get started here, I, at the end of your last show, you had uh, talked about birthdays. And I wanted to wish my mom a happy 84th birthday. Oh, so. cool. 84, huh? Did, yeah. Now, does she live here in Rutherford County? She does not. She's uh, back in uh, Oklahoma City. And so uh, when I go back, I will um, be able to play this for her and let her know that she got wished happy birthday on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I was in uh, Oklahoma, I guess, earlier, well, last year, earlier last year. Uh, it's, it's a pretty area, and the buffaloes out there are just wild. You know, I mean, it's just crazy to see these huge animals. Yeah, between that, the um, the oil wells that are out there, and there's, uh, I think, the, the capital, the Oklahoma capital, was the only capital in the, in the nation that had an oil well that was drilling underneath it and if you what's ironic is the airport there uh will rogers airport and wiley post airport so the two airports in oklahoma city are named after people that died in a plane crash interesting (laughs) and and one of the roads going to that main airport uh to to will rogers is uh amelia Earhart lane and so that is you know and we assume she died in a plane crash exactly (laughs) Interesting. Again, this morning, talking about politics and things happening within our state and within Rutherford County, I guess one of the bigger items that uh, has received a a lot of conversation is the uh, BEP talking about education within our schools, funding the education system. Uh, How is all of that working out and is the formula for funding complete at this point? Uh, great question. Um, yesterday, the governor, I guess, unveiled his his plan, uh, Tennessee Investment and in Student Achievement. Uh, that um, is supposed to be a more s- simpler plan. I haven't been able to dive into all the numbers yet, but it uh, includes a base funding that will be for each student, and then there's going to be some direct funding. Um, uh, there's outcomes funding, and then there's things that are going to be weighted in it uh, for like poverty and concentrated poverty, uh, small or sparse communities, uh, unique learning uh, needs, and then uh, looks like there's weights for charter schools in there. From the letter that uh, the commissioner sent out to uh, to Rutherford County, it said that in a from last year the BEP formula last year to this year the the county would be getting 57 million more in funding and that does not include they have something outside of this uh, for growth uh, counties which uh, they're supposed to uh, do the average daily weights 
and uh, they're supposed to look at that monthly, which would uh, increase the speed with which Rutherford County could get funds. Right now, the way the BEP formula is, uh, you know, they, they look at the average daily attendance from the previous year, and then they're projecting what the funding's going to be for the next year, where you know, Rutherford County is looking to build a school each year. And so it's, you were a year or two behind in funding, having to try to catch up. And so this in theory is supposed to help growth counties. And that's something that we as a delegation have, have pushed uh, the governor and the commissioner and the BP review committee to, uh, to add that into their considerations. I know uh, I've got that report that they emailed us as well, and I haven't had a chance to study it yet. I do that on weekends. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I was listening to the governor on the radio yesterday, and I was very alarmed by one thing he said. And like I said, the the um, the devil is in the details. Uh, report a news uh, radio caster asked him, um, said, "Will this cost any more by locals?" And he said, "Yes." So if the state's going to be paying more, and his new formula has the locals paying more, I may have a problem with that. I need to look and see. Uh, if that's an unfunded mandate or it's going to require them to raise taxes. Uh, but that was his words, not mine. And that, that kind of let me uh, alerted me to what is he expecting them to take part or be a part of this. Because um, we're spending, um, was that over a billion dollars on education? Yeah. And, and it's an increase. But if he's also calling for locals to increase, we need to really see what it's all about and see if they're in agreement to it yeah, uh, to, to that point there's in the BEP formula uh, some I mean it's a very complex very complex In fact years ago I had um, my interns they they went through it and so I've got like a BEP for dummies <laughs> on my iPad that's for me but yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's, I mean it's so complex but there are things where if the state puts in like 70 percent then the locals would have to match it at 30%. And that's something that, that what Tim's uh, talking about is we need to make sure that it's not an unfunded mandate. But there are certain things that I think that he's wanting to put in there is like if there's a t teacher raise that they're putting in there, uh, oftentimes the locals could use those funds for something else. Uh, Usually their insurance. Yeah. And so uh, they we want to make sure that it's going towards – uh, the teacher and not uh, towards something else. And so those are some of the, uh, the details that we just have to go through and look at. And like I said, we just got it you know, dropped on us pretty much yesterday. So. And, and the BEP, that stands for Basic Education Program. And it's, I guess, a formulation of how to fund all the schools across the 95 counties. Uh, but man, talk about complex. It deals with everything, I think, from what, textbooks to the teacher salaries to i mean it just covers so much well there's there's a lot in there too and the, the education budget that uh that he proposed um when i was going over the his budget overall picking picking it apart in all the departments i noticed a part of the education budget was almost what four million for to set up the online gambling sports betting and that's hmm. hidden in the education budget which i told leadership Look, we I voted against it, but you passed online sports betting, and I realize the commission has to be set up, lawyers, and 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 all that has to be established to oversee it to collect, make sure the state gets its its money. But I said it shouldn't be in the education budget, even though it says sports. That needs to be that needs to be carved out because um, 
that just isn't where it belongs. Now, speaking, changing the subject a little bit here, but speaking of gambling, here in Tennessee, is sports gambling something that is legal at this point, or where do we stand on that? Uh, well, uh, I'm not an expert on that because I did vote against it, but it's online gambling, and as far as I know, it's no actual gambling at like you don't have gambling machines set up at stores right. and, and sports stadiums and all that. It's online, which is most of that's run out of Las Vegas, but the state is going to get its share of the revenue taxes from the gambling. So that's what the commission would oversee to make sure the the millions that would come in from that goes to the state. But um, um, as far as I know, no, there is no actual physical gambling in the state. You know, online gambling, it makes it kind of hard for different states to really oversee that because it is online. So that does make it tough on states. But I can see where states would want to be able to get that added revenue from that gambling taking place, especially if it's illegal. A lot of states are going to want to make it legal. Well, it's it's uh, 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 it's a sad thing, but whether it's um, whether it's recreational marijuana, or whether it's gambling, or whether it's alcohol, dr- drugs, etc., uh, growing growing hemp, whatever they uh, the the number one thing is oh, it's going to be a revenue generator. Yeah. We're going to have more money for education. Um, I don't care what it is. Uh, I don't care if you're getting money from sin. Sin is sin, and I can't support it. And here in Tennessee, one of the biggest, I guess, expenditures for the state is, in fact, education. I mean, it's one of the biggest parts of the budget. Yes. Well, it's like the lottery. The lottery came in, and um, uh, it, it's generated a lot enabled high, uh, college students to um, to go to college free or, or a large portion of it free. But at the same time, uh, we live in a state that we were lucky. If we didn't have that lottery, we would still be able to provide that due to the revenue we generate. But uh, it's kind of like the uh, when we passed the gas tax. It hadn't been raised in 30 years. And by the time it passed, they have carved out and gave so much away where they thought that would be enough to last another 30 years. It hadn't even lasted a decade, and we're running out of money because they, to get votes to pass the gas tax, they kept expanding the projects, but not the revenue to pay for it. So we're running out of money to pay for all these projects, and it's taking longer to complete. So they're, they're wanting more gas tax and more revenue now. And, the, and, and to be quite honest, you know, TDOT needs it because it's our roads, but you can see the condition they're in. It's taking longer and longer and longer to patch longer and longer to do projects because the the revenue is just not there it's yeah. going to other things yeah and 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 to tim's point there actually had a um a hearing in this was in transportation and they're talking about electric vehicles and and the push towards that and they were talking about the the funding mechanism and that was one of the amendments that I, when they did the gas tax i did not vote for the gas tax hike but the mm-hmm. i did offer an amendment uh that took uh tourism dollars and took uh, part of the sales tax off of uh, like auto parts from parts stores and it would have generated like I think 400 million dollars and it would have diversified uh, what our uh, the funding is for for transportation and and they were actually talking about stuff like that in committee and it's like well that's something I you know <laughs> suggested you know well that's uh, two, you know there was so ago. much going on that was my first year here i walked in the legislature and all of a sudden there's this gas tax fight and everybody's <laughs> at each other's throats i said man what did i get myself into <laughs> it's like you open the door and you go into a birthday party and they're, they're all fighting yeah <laughs> but uh 
Uh, that's a great actual suggestion. I know there were so many amendments. Uh, they you ought to suggest that amendment now. Oh yeah, the transfer tourism dollars because we have so much surplus and they're spending it recklessly. Maybe a, lot, a portion of tourism dollars should go directly to T dot since tourism is using the roads yeah uh, again with us in studio this morning we have state representatives tim rudd and brian terry talking about different issues throughout the state different bills and one of those items that comes up it seems like every single year is handguns and handgun permits it seems like that's always a hot topic is that something that is being discussed this year as far as changes to handgun carry permits or permitless carry here in Tennessee. Well, with the uh, this Tim, um, I haven't personally seen a lot. Of course, what we did last session by um, eliminating that that was a lot of those hassles and uh, that everyone can carry. Um, there's some cleanup bills, and there's always something someone's running, but that's not been a hot topic this year because we we did so much on it last year. Yeah, I think there um, that was a big initiative for the the governor uh, to do the the permitless carry, but I do think that uh, there's some legislation going about enhanced permits, but I'm I'm not in that that committee, and I so I haven't been tracking that particular piece either. of legislation. Uh, but I do think that that's out there, and there was c- concern. Or questions about you know if you get an enhanced permit being able to carry wherever a police officer can carry and the, the, the I know that there was debate about you know the amount of training a police officer has to go through versus uh, the enhanced permit but uh, I, I don't know what the status of where that that bill is right now yeah, of course I, I know there are advantages for actually having that carry permit versus not having that carry permit uh, so, I mean, there are differences in the two of, you know, just regular persons carrying a handgun versus those carrying a handgun who have a permit. Um, but people really should read more on that law if they plan to go armed, especially if they don't have a permit. That way they know what they're getting themselves into legally. Yeah. And there's, uh, I will say that there is a bill that's going to be out uh, coming through that, um, in fact, the, the legislator that's carrying it, uh, he's hasn't been able to be there much this year because of uh, health issues and health issues in his in his family but uh, what I, th- I believe that the way his bill is set up is that there will be a, a voucher for handgun training if you buy it buy a firearm so that you know right now we're having permitless carry it would incentivize people to get get training that way Again, this morning, talking about state issues and issues that impact Rutherford County. And in studio with us, we have state representatives Brian Terry and Tim Rudd. And we're going to take our first break, and we'll check on that forecast and also find out what's happening with the uh, traffic situation out there in just a second but wanted to remind folks that all rutherford county schools are opening two hours late today and that is due to area roads being flooded again at least 21 roads are closed today because of flooding especially slab bridges they're seeing the biggest problem but Rutherford County Schools opening two hours late, buses running two hours behind. Murfreesboro City Schools are on time this morning. And we will be right back. If anybody has any questions, all you have to do is text us those questions at 615-893-1450. Time right now, 834.
come by our store, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're a full-line music instrument store with well over 5,000 square feet packed with great instruments in every category. In guitars, we're your local dealer for the two top acoustic guitar brands in the world, Martin and Taylor. We've got the best selection and prices anywhere in the state of Tennessee on these. This is Dave Kivanemi at Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro. 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. All of the proceeds that we generate from our store goes directly back into the ministry for those programs that Greenhouse has. So we would just encourage people to come out and take a look. The Garden Patch offers competitive prices on name brand clothing, furniture, large appliances, household items, toys, and more. Shopping at the Garden Patch helps Greenhouse Ministries inspire, give hope, and change lives. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. Take a moment and rate your lifestyle on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is a life that's nothing like the life you were promised after getting good grades, a college degree, and a good job in corporate America. 10 is the life of your dreams. If you answered anything less than a 10, tune into the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell's self-made millionaire and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited will show you how to live the life of your dreams and pay for it with passive income. The Dell Walmsley Radio Show, Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon, right here on News Radio WGNS. For this afternoon, gradually becoming partly sunny with high temperatures working up into the middle part of the 40s. Then for tonight, mostly cloudy skies, low of 27. I'm meteorologist Michael Carroll, News Radio WGNS, currently 35 degrees. Good afternoon. Steady flow of traffic continues on 24 coming in from Davidson County. A lot of radar earlier over on 840 as you head towards Franklin, Williamson County. Give yourself extra time. Prince's Hot Chicken now available for catering. Log on to princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Family Restaurants. Do you know somebody who has moved far away and is missing eating at Demas's? Well, Demas's Family Restaurants now offers many of our sauces and some of our food, such as pot roast and soup, to be shipped all across the nation. It's very simple. You just go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com and you can send an order to anybody as a gift all across this nation. You can send an order to anybody. Go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. News time right now, 8.37. You're tuned in to WGNS. If you have questions for the lawmakers in studio this morning, all you have to do is text us those questions, 615-893-1450. Again, text 615-893-1450. Representatives Tim Rudd and Dr. Brian Terry, both in studio with us this morning. Uh, before we go on too much longer, I do have a text message asking about switchblade knives. They said it used to be illegal, they thought, to have a switchblade knife, but now it appears to be legal. So what is the situation with switchblade knives? I have no clue. I, I don't know. We certainly didn't make it legal. Um, I don't know of any. Uh, I don't know if switchblades have ever been outlawed in Tennessee. The uh, blades that uh, popped up. 
yeah that yeah, are in, know you know inside them, yeah. now they're i think they're illegal i don't know about switchblades but uh, no we haven't made it legal if it's legal now it always was okay yeah no it's it's been a while since i've looked at any of that type of statute and although there's like a length and this that and the other that that has to meet certain criteria but uh you know, if if he wants a def- definite answer, you know they can he can he or she can email my office uh, and you know rep dot brian dot terry at capital dot dot gov and and we can find that information yeah, it varies for him from state to state and it could even vary from city to city if there's an ordinance carved out for a city. I don't yeah. know. Uh, here in Rutherford County, are there any bills that are going to directly impact our area more so than other areas, or are there any bills you're you're pushing for maybe a law change in that will have a positive effect on Rutherford County? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, what I'm trying to work on, I'm working on some legislation, uh, particularly dealing with the landfill. Uh, you know, obviously, last night the uh, Central Tennessee Regional Solid Waste Planning Board uh, voted to reaffirm their denial of the expansion of Middle Point Landfill, but there's still some issues related to that. Um, that it's still going to go go into court, and then there's the potential, even that it's in court that the commissioner could find that their ruling was arbitrary and capricious and so i'm looking at ways that how we can can close some of those loopholes on that um you know i i had have still have a bill it's still alive that to try to um require on part two of the application uh right now what's in, in under contention is part one and then part two of the application just requires a, a hydrogeological survey and an engineering survey. But there's nothing in part two that requires any sort of community survey or any sort of community input. And so the language of the bill that, that I have, I've already presented in committee once, and, and that was something we were talking about off air. Uh, you know, we've had some members that have not been there in committee. And when I was presenting that bill, one of my yes votes in committee happened to not be there. And then I realized that during the middle of the committee that that bill was not going to pass. And so I ended up having to take it off notice and try to work with some of the members, the the chairman and TDEC to see what position I can get it in to, to help locally. But that's something I'm working on, I, Tim. Um, well, I had um, I had uh, I've got a few bills active. Nothing specifically for Rutherford, but it certainly would affect Rutherford. Uh, I had uh, two very good bills that um, uh, one of which does affect Rutherford. Uh, go down in committee was defeated this week by Republicans, combined with Democrats. Um, um, one that uh, went down was a had a solution I've been working on with Children's Services, the Department of Children's Services, that would have resolved within the law. Uh, the migrant children, unaccompanied migrant children. Most people don't realize, uh, if, you, if you recall back, Chattanooga was caught, the Biden administration was, was dumping children in Chattanooga at a, at a former a dormitory at UT Chattanooga down there. It was privately owned they, uh, from the border. These children that are coming across with no parents or guardians or, or in no one's legal custody, they contract a service out of uh, out of Georgia to house them there, and there was a lot of kids housed there, and we didn't know they were there because the feds, by law, don't have to tell us what they're doing. Uh, just like the just like the county and state report to the, you know, are overseen by the the state, we 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 can't tell the feds what to do. 
Um, and they were doing that. But once we found out the kids were there, we went and inspected the facility, and some some of them were being sexually abused. Wow. So we, we shut that down. In the process, the feds don't have to tell us that we have had uh, over 104 migrant kids in Murfreesboro in the last year, and we did not know it. And they were housing them in individual homes, not in a hotel or anything. And we had no idea they were here. That's the way they're getting around the system is rather than putting a large number of them in one building, they're contracting individuals to, to house them. So we have no idea if these kids are being mistreated or if the conditions are in. You know, when, when we have foster kids or adopted kids, um, we can check to make sure the house, they're in a good environment, they're being taken care of, they're not being abused, they're being fed, they're in a clean, clean home. We can't do that with the migrant children because we don't know they're here. So my bill would have said that while we can't tell the feds what to do, we can certainly tell Tennesseans what to do. And it would have made it a felony if you were housing or transporting migrant children in Tennessee without letting the state and the Department of Children's Services know. So they could go and inspect. It wouldn't outlaw it because we legally can't outlaw it. It would be turned over in court. But we can hold them accountable and make sure that Children's Services could go in and inspect the homes and the facilities. And I've been working with Children's Services for eight months on that. And they came in at the last minute and asked for two rows. And we're only allowed two rows before the bill goes to final calendar, virtually killing it. Um, and they came in at the last minute the day before the meeting and wanted me to make an additional change that really would have gutted the bill and not made them responsible for anything. And I said no. So I went in the committee thinking I had the votes and I had the support. Uh, there were a couple of members not there. They were out presenting bills in other committees. And to my surprise, Children's Services came in and testified and helped kill the bill. That combined with two Republicans asking stupid, irrelevant questions that had nothing to do with the bill that confused people. And the legal that wrote the bill was asked a question, and she said, I don't know. Wow. So um, I had a choice of uh, rolling it a third time and putting at the very end of session, which would mean Senate's already took action and other bills behind me, would have, or learning using this as a learning experience because uh, Don White and Dan Howe have another bill similar to mine, and they can tailor their bill and not differently than mine and maybe get it passed. And uh, also to put people on record voting against this, uh, basically siding with the Biden administration over the people of Tennessee. So that bill went down by a couple of votes on a voice vote. And then an additional uh, bill, another very good bill that would have affected uh, people throughout the state of Tennessee, is I had a bill in uh, education full that made it out of subcommittee with no opposition that um, would have required that all school boards, uh, all public school boards, city and county throughout the state, set aside a minimal of basically uh, 30 minutes, 10 people to have three minutes to speak on any subject related to LEAs. Because uh, what was happening is around the state, it wasn't a problem here as much, but in Williamson and other counties, uh, parents were being not allowed to speak. They were very limiting their, their ability to speak on certain subjects. Uh, they were basically muffling the parents where they couldn't talk about their children's education at school board meetings. So I wanted to establish a minimum uh, time period where people could speak on education issues. And I had widespread support on that. And uh, all of a sudden, I had uh, Republican State Rep. Mark Cochran of McMinn County came in and started asking, well, why are we burdening school boards with this? Shouldn't we give them flexibility? Why do we want to uh, say that they have to have 10? What if we don't put a minimal number in there? 
the uh, the person, uh, the school board chairman or the superintendent running the meeting would say, well, I'm only going to allow one person to speak at a public comment period. You have to put a minimum in there, and then they're free to ex to expand upon that. And then I had another come in, another Republican member, come in and ask a ridiculous question, a stupid question. Um, well, why are we limiting this to just 10? What if more want to speak? Well, I said this is a minimum of 10, which means you can expand. She didn't grasp that. So the, uh, the bill... Uh, uh, the bill went down in defeat, so Republican, moderate Republicans combined with Democrats defeated a bill denying parents the right to speak at school boards. It doesn't seem like it would be a burden to the school board to simply allow for a minimum of 30 minutes for those who are there who are obviously concerned about their children to talk. So I, it, it's, it's kind of confusing to me, and I'm sure to a lot of people, as to why the state would not want to allow for that well it, it amazes me and I'm, I'm sure brian's seen this too i'll be talking to uh, i'm just talking about just strictly republican members when i'm talking to them they'll come in and say well i don't know if i can support that bill the uh the tea or the uh the school boards association or the governor is against it um well like do you represent special interests or do you represent your people I try to do what's in the best interest of the people. I don't work for the school boards. I don't work for the teachers union. I don't work for uh, UAW. I don't work for a uh, department state government. I work for the people and I try. I can never make everyone happy. There's too many different interests, too many different groups in a district, but I try to do what's best for everyone with the information I have. I certainly do not take a position that I'm for gun rights and then turn against gun rights because someone's pressuring me. I'm pretty consistent in staying with my beliefs and what I've what I, what I ran on. I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned there about those who are illegal immigrants who came, I guess, into America by way of Texas, from Mexico, or or any area that borders Canada or Mexico, really. Um, but we have these children who are here who are immigrants, and you're saying we've had or do we still have at least 100 in the Murfreesboro area, and if so. Who's really keeping track of what's going on with them, their health, their welfare? Who's overseeing that right now? That's just it. The feds don't tell us. The only thing we can find out that they tell us after the fact is it's in the budget process. The only reason why we know there was 104 here last year in Murfreesboro is after. They were already long gone. The, they have to tell our congressman about what's appropriate in the budget to house them. But they don't tell us where they're at or who had them. So we don't know how many are here right now, but we'll know once they leave because they have to report their expenditures. I'd like to, to add something to what uh, Tim is saying, and this is something, you know, when this first happened and the stuff was going on in Chattanooga, obviously I'm calling and trying to find information uh, from the, the governor's office and who, who else I could find uh, information from. And one thing that was told to me that was pretty profound was that they said that, you know, from our congressmen and our senators and our governor, when they ask the Biden administration for information, it's like nothing. They're not, not getting much information at all. They said they got more information from the, the Obama administration. They, they said they actually had a problem with the Trump administration because the Trump administration gave them too much information. I mean, they were very forthcoming with what, what it, from very transparent and forthcoming with what was out there. But the Biden administration is just not very transparent not very forthcoming uh, with information, and it makes it difficult for the state to, uh, you know, run different operations uh, and and to 
do the things that we're supposed to do when you know there's not that two-way information when it comes to kids it seems like there are fewer and fewer i don't know rules laws regulations to help protect children and more so obviously it sounds like for children who are immigrants from other countries who are here and and then again the federal government doesn't have to tell local government hey we've got 50 kids staying at xyz so i mean this it's scary and sad to hear about stuff like that well what they're what they're doing this whole thing's a big scam and what it it used to be of course before it got out of control we had what two two million illegals that's just the ones we processed at the border since biden's been been president two million um what used to happen and if it's two million that we processed there's probably seven or eight million we didn't um, but what used to happen is, is children would come with a relative, into like an aunt or uncle or somebody into the into the nation. They then report them to uh, immigration, and then the parents would get to come here to be with their child. So we'd have an illegal child here, and they could send for their parent to come in to keep while they're waiting a court case, and then they just disappear and nobody sees them again, and they never report back. What's happening now is they're not sending them with relatives because the Biden administration and the supporters of his actually physically went down to Central America and encouraged migrants to come here and flood our borders. And then he told the agents not to resist and basically let them in, document them, tell them to come back, then they never come back. And they're even putting them on planes and buses and spreading them all across the country. This is our president's doing this. And these kids are coming in with mules, drug drug dealers, everybody else are coming in here. Their parents are sending them in here and hoping that they'll connect with somebody and they'll send for them, but they're just getting lost in the system. They're, in, uh, they're being abused sexually. They're putting in uh, sweatshops. Uh, they're basically slave labor that's in our country and our cities disappeared in back alleys, and we don't know where they're at. These kids simply are gone. Once they're here, their relatives aren't joining them. They're disappeared. To, to follow up on that, and just to, uh, uh, speaking from the border perspective, yesterday we we did uh, vote on a bill, uh, passed a bill uh, dealing with pill presses. Uh, right now, uh, you know what's uh, as far as being drug paraphernalia. Uh, right now, what's occurring, obviously in in the uh, country, and and it's happening in, in Rutherford County as well, is they're pressing pills with fentanyl and that's getting on the street and so with the open border that we're having that's what's happening is you know you're getting this fentanyl through china uh, from china through mexico coming up through the borders and getting into our communities and uh you know a few years ago we passed the uh and together act to uh tighten down some of the opioid prescriptions and and uh one of the things that we have found they just they did uh the mid program uh report and the team together report uh, which i helped uh or or with the law which i helped create is decreasing uh the amount of patients that are getting addicted however there's more patients or more people out there that are getting overdoses uh and it's because of the open borders and the drugs that are coming through fentanyl in particular that's coming through and so it's it's a mess that's that's really impacting uh, you know they say uh you know texas may be a border state but with an open border every state's a border state and that's that's a major problem it i've noticed the tbi has really done a lot in the media over the last couple of weeks about fake 
pain pills, and that's exactly what you're talking about, the pill presses. They make these pills that look just like the real prescription version of whatever the pill may be, oxycodone, hydrocodone, and so on. Um, And I, I did find this interesting as I was reading more about the pill issue, the addiction, the opiate issue. I read that I think the state was reporting around, they expect or they think around 70,000 persons are addicted to pain pills, but yet like 14 million prescriptions of pain pills were written last year. It's some huge number. But that kind of made me think for a second, you know, if if there's only like, let's say, 70,000 who find themselves addicted to this, then why is there such a focus on limiting doctor's ability to write prescriptions for some of these pills because there are folks out there who really do need the help and they really do need this medication but yet they are feeling vilified by it and that's got to be a tough place to be yeah that's a that's a great point that's one of the things that i had to fight for when that bill first came through was that patients that are in need chronic pain patients or patients that have um need longer amounts of medication uh we had to put exemptions in there for those type of patients um what what they found though is that you know once you get above four and five days the slope the increased risk of addiction goes there and so what what we did basically was focus more on getting the the three-day prescriptions and that's where a lot of the focus has gone to uh for that so we've shifted more to the shorter prescriptions we still have pain patients out there. Those patients, we need to ensure that they have um, uh, have the treatment they need. One of the problems that we do have in Tennessee is, uh, and it's not just in, in this, but you know, chronic pain specialists. Uh, we have shortages of healthcare workers in different areas. Like one of the bills that I'm running, not not dealing with pain, but it's a, an interstate compact for audiologists and speech language uh, pathologists and with occupational therapists. Uh, so, and we're having shortages of nurses. I mean, there, that's, um, uh, that's a major issue, uh, for all these different, uh, healthcare needs, but yeah, you are correct. When we're dealing with chronic pain patients, there are, there's a need to ensure that they get what they need without pushing them to the street. because uh, if, if you don't take care of their needs, where do they go? They go to the street and that's where they get, end up getting heroin. They end up uh, getting fentanyl. Uh, overdosing and that's the last thing that we need I did uh, I had one more um, bill which is actually brought from Rutherford County uh, when locals work together it may be at odds on other things but when locals locals work together with us like I had uh, the Rutherford County School Board and the superintendent come to me which normally I'm battling on different issues and ask me to solve a long-standing problem that's throughout the state and that is that when you have repeatedly dyschronic kids who are disrupting classes, making threats on social media towards teachers and schools and spreading rumors, and they just do it over and over again, They're, they can't do any. Their hands are tied. And um, so uh, the, what we would do, we were, of course, none of us are huge fans of remote learning. And, but these kids are repeatedly disrupting schools and disrupting classrooms and making threats. And what we'd do is, if you were repeatedly doing this, my deal, my bill would say you're banned from the school for a certain period of time. Could be, could be a month, could be the whole school year, and you will be educated from home through via remote learning. And uh, because what's happening here, we have um, we have one school that handles disrupted kids, but it's full, 
And um, I think the pandemic brought out the worst in our, our kids. So hopefully everybody will get behind that and we can find that solution. We're pretty much out of time. But as we close this morning, just real quick, I know the governor talked about setting aside around, I think it was $57 million to be used for MTSU to build their new aerospace program in Shelbyville, the Shelbyville Municipal Airport. Where do you see that going? Do you see that being approved for MTSU's aerospace? Yeah, I think it will, and it, it, yeah. MTSU's in your district. I know uh, he came recently, MTSU came to the Hill, and McPhee told us about it, uh, $62 million plus he needs another $5 million on top of that for seed money to build. Yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of support in there. Uh, you know, I've had conversations with uh, – you know, the administration, the um, speaker, the speaker pro tem. In fact, it's going to be actually moving uh, to the speaker pro tem's district out there in uh, Shelbyville, out at that airport out there. But what they do need is probably an additional five million. That it's it's a transition to go from Murfreesboro to, to move and to get that process through. And so the funds that it's directed at right now doesn't necessarily help with that move. And so they're looking at that. And so um, I think that the, the initial amount, I think, will be in the budget and will be approved. The extra, it's still out there that we're, we're working on. And the reason why it's going to uh, decent, the decent airport there between Shelbyville and Murfreesboro, which really isn't that far past the county line, is because Murfreesboro Airport, MTSU's need to grow, and there's no room to grow, so they have to leave. And Rutherford Airport and Smyrna didn't want them, so that was a logical choice. And I will say that you know the MTSU has their Propel program, the aviation program, and the very first, and it's an, it's a nationwide program, the very first graduate that's got their captain's wings just got that out of MTSU, uh, and so they're the they're the leader in the state right there. So it's, it's a big deal. Again, with us this morning in studio, Representatives Tim Rudd and Brian Terry. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Time right now, 9 o'clock. You're tuned to WGNS Murfreesboro. Local news with Ron Jordan comes your way next. After that, the Truman Show will be on the air.